from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, another exclusive look into the U.S.-Russia situation, this time with Virginia Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And he says the Kremlin, like it targeted the 2016 presidential election, is going after the 2018 midterms as well. We know that the Russians are continuing these activities. We've, as, as Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, has said, the red lights are blinking. Warner will discuss that, plus the progress on its investigation into Russian interference in the U.S. 2016 presidential election. We've really broken the probe into five areas. The intelligence community findings, election security, was enough done to stop the interference, what happened on social media, and collusion. All a part of our conversation. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C-4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On January 13th, 2017, the Senate Intelligence Committee began an investigation into how the Russian government interfered in the 2016 presidential election. The connections between that interference and cyber attacks on U.S. political, business and government interest and American citizens is a part of that investigation as well. A third element of that investigation is whether or not there was any collusion between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. We spoke to Virginia Senator Mark Warner, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, shortly after the probe started in April of 2017. And on this program, we take a critical look at where the probe stands now. Senator, we spoke in early 2017, and you detailed what was known at the time about Russian interference. Um, We've spoken since then, but nothing as extensive or comprehensive as that. A lot of things have happened, but can you give us an update about where your probe has come from then and where it stands now? Well, we're now a year and a half into the probe. I'm very proud of the fact that it remains bipartisan, and it remains committed to getting all of the facts out. We've really broken the probe into five areas. The first area, which we've completed our work, went back and re-examined all of the conclusions of the intelligence community when they first put out their report in January of 2017. We finished that review in early 2018, and our conclusion was that the IC was right, that Russia massively intervened in our elections, 
they hacked into the Democratic Party and Democratic operatives. They used that information in a way to help Trump hurt Clinton. They scanned or broke into a number of our state voting systems, not changing actual vote totals, but exposing vulnerabilities. And they major did a massive misuse of social media. And I'll come back to more of that in the next stage, but that, that was the first stage, the intelligence community assessment of the Russian intervention, with the top line being helping Trump hurting Clinton. The second piece we reviewed was election security. Now, in a normal world, in a normal White House, after we had as much evidence of a foreign power intervening in our vulnerable election systems, and when I say election system, there's really three areas I'm talking about. The voter rolls and voter registration, making sure that your name shows up in the right precinct, for example. The actual voting machine. And the third area is the voting tabulation. All, any one of those three areas, bad guys could break into. In a in the normal circumstance, after we had evidence the foreign country had interfered in our elections, a White House would have set up, we're going to appoint somebody to be in charge of election security because the lines of responsibility between your local registrar, your state registrar, and your federal folks are really divided. And a lot of local registrars don't want to have the federal government mm-hmm. sticking their nose in the business. Mm-hmm. But because Mr. Trump has not made this a priority, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has done some good work, and our committee, I think, has done some good work. We have, we put out, for example, help get $380 million in, into funding of upgrading security to election systems. Mostly that's making sure that there is a, some form of a paper trail, so that even if somebody broke into a machine, there'd be some ability to audit with paper, um, who voted for whom. Um, We've seen a number of systems put in place what's called the Albert system, which is an indicator if there is suspicious activity. Um, But we still don't have a full comprehensive approach, and we've been trying to pass bipartisan again an election security Legislation that, in addition to the money, would say on a going forward basis, if you don't have certain protections in place, we're not going to give you any more federal federal dough. You don't have to take the federal money, but if you want federal money, you got to have some basic security. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because the White House and the majority leader haven't wanted that to move, even though we would get overwhelming support if it, if that was able to be voted on. So the second piece of our study investigation was on election security. The third piece of the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation revolved around the Obama administration. There have been numerous questions about whether enough was done and was the action taken actually effective in stopping Russia's interference. This is what former President Barack Obama had to say on December 16, 2016, at an end-of-the-year news conference at the White House. Based on uniform intelligence assessments. The Russians were responsible for hacking the DNC. Uh, It is important for us to review all elements of that and make sure that 
we are preventing that kind of interference uh, through cyber attacks in the future. I think it is very important for us to distinguish between the politics of the election and the need for us as a country, uh, both from a national security perspective, but also uh, in terms of the integrity of our election system and our democracy, uh, to make sure that we don't create a political football here. Once we had clarity and certainty around what in fact had happened, we publicly announced that in fact Russia had hacked into the DNC. And at that time we did not uh, attribute motives or uh, you know, any interpretations of why they had done so. At a time when anything that was said by me or anybody in the White House would immediately be seen through a partisan lens. Uh, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood we were playing this thing straight. But what we were trying to do is let people know that this had taken place. And so if you started seeing effects on the election, if you were trying to measure uh, why this was happening and uh, how you should consume the information that was being leaked, that you might want to take this into account. Part of the goal here was to make sure that we did not do the work of the leakers for them by raising more and more questions about the integrity of the election right before the election was taking place. At a time, by the way, when the president-elect himself was raising questions about the integrity of the election. In early September, when I saw President Putin in China, I felt that the most effective way to ensure that that didn't happen was to talk to him directly and tell him to cut it out and there were going to be some serious consequences if he didn't. Uh, and in fact, we did not see further tampering of the election process. But the leaks through WikiLeaks had already occurred. Three key ideas jumped out during Obama's statement. One, they knew what Russia had done. Two, they did not want to politicize the matter. And three, Obama told Russian President Vladimir Putin in person to cut it out. Warner says the Obama team and the FBI have been under the microscope in their probe. What the Obama administration did right and what they did wrong. What the FBI did right and what the FBI did wrong. We've not released that part of the report yet, but we've we've reached most of our conclusions. And on the top line, I would say I think there was a there is a again bipartisan consensus that the Obama administration was not aggressive enough in getting this information out about Russian intervention, about pushing back harder on Putin's activities earlier on. In by late October, I think they'd made some progress with, with Putin, but much of the bad stuff had already happened by then. So there will be some criticism there. The fourth piece... Do you have any idea why they didn't push back harder? I think it was... Um, I think the senior most folks in the Obama administration were so concerned that any of their outing of Russian intervention, particularly Russian intervention that was clearly 
designed to help Mr. Trump would be viewed as political. And you know, remember, Donald Trump is the only presidential candidate in American history, doesn't matter what party you belong to, who even before the election took place was saying, well, I'm not sure I may accept the results of the election. I'm not sure the elections may be rigged. I mean, if there was ever something that was a page out of the Russian propaganda book, it is making those statements because what what the Russians want is to sow distrust in the American public that maybe you can't trust our elections. And they want to do that not only to distrust, have Americans have be distrustful, and for that matter, what they've done in other European countries where they try to sow that distrust. But if it shows that the Western elections aren't that secure and safe, that also helps Putin for his Russian audience when he says, hey, you know, we got elections in Russia. Now, I think they're mostly, you already know who's going to win ahead of time because he'll jail any of his opponents, but it gives even more legitimacy for his own elections. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, and it's easier now with retrospect looking back, but I wish President Obama and his administration had pushed back harder, but they were afraid of that. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of being critical. You know, just the one thing about this guy, Trump, is that he can he does a pretty darn good job sometimes of bullying people. And he does this, you know, his friend and foe alike. But I do think that the Obama administration, if we'd put more of this information out, if we people knew there was Mm-hmm. ongoing investigations into some of the people involved with the Mr. Trump's campaign, you know, we'll only, we can only speculate. So that's, right. that's the third. The fourth part is a examination of what happened inside social media. You know, at first the social media companies like Facebook said, oh, there's no way Russians could have used our systems. Well, now they acknowledge Russia used Facebook, they used Twitter, they used YouTube, which is owned by Google. And what we originally thought was well, they must have been buying a lot of advertising. The buying of advertising sourced from Russia was really just a small piece. Their real campaign was to create fake accounts, oftentimes with a topic that had nothing to do with politics. There was a certain accounts supporting, for example, Alabama football. There was another uh, uh, account that was supporting gardening. And then there were certain accounts that were focused on kind of divisive issues around race and religion. And they build, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of followers. And then once they had people following the account, they'd start filtering in Russian propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that area, we, we will, I've come up with a series of recommendations. We had a hearing even just about 10 days ago where we laid out some ideas, and again, bipartisan supported that says on a going forward basis, you know, we ought to know if a foreign government's in uh, advertising on a Facebook or Twitter or Google. Uh, we said we ought to know when we get a message from some entity, whether that is actual human being contacting us or a computer or a bot. Mm-hmm. We pressed Facebook on the idea that they ought to let us know what information they collect about us, which is how they make money. They then take that information on any one of us and sell it to advertisers so they can target their advertising. And that there are certain sites that are maybe so inciting of violence that they ought to have a responsibility to take some of those sites down. So we're not finished with the social media piece, but we've made a great deal of progress. We're talking with Virginia Senator Mark Warner. 
vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, about its probe into the Kremlin interference campaign in the 2016 election. So far, we've discussed four of the five investigative angles the committee is looking into. The intelligence community findings, election security, Obama administration shortcomings, social media problems. And when we come back... The fifth piece, and the one that, you know, everyone, which is the million-dollar question, it's the question that the Mueller investigation is still going through, is was it a collusion? Coming up on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability, enabling faster, more assured decisions. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. This is a Target USA moment. Episode 100. Former CIA spy Mark Kelton behind the Iron Curtain. One time I had to mail a letter to an agent uh, and mail it without the opposition knowing it. It was uh, January, very, very cold, uh, below zero. And uh, after a long route to try to ensure that there was no one behind me, I got to the, uh, to the place where I was supposed to mail it. But, you know, the, the fear, of course, of getting caught, I was actually sweating. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was well below zero, but sweating because of the concern. Um, I, my hands were so cold, I, I opened the letter box, uh, went to slip the letter inside, and it dropped with a clang, and all it, the, the letter box itself dropped with a, dropped with a clang. Wow. The, and I looked up and down, it was a vacant street, wondering if anybody had heard me. I remember, th- I'll remember that till the, uh, till the day I die. This has been a Target USA Moment, episode 100. Download it. Relive it. I'm J.J. Green. And this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. How exactly did Russia interfere in the 2016 election campaign? And did Russia use active measures, creating fake news stories and the like? We've been talking with Virginia Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, about all of those issues. And there's one more that they're looking into. And this is where we pick up our conversation. The fifth piece, and the one that, you know, everyone, which is the million-dollar question, it's the question that the Mueller investigation is still going through, is was it a collusion? And I'm going to reserve judgment until we've talked to all of the, our potential witnesses, and we've talked to over 100 witnesses, and and that is that, that you know, we, we do have evidence that the Russians had the information on Hillary Clinton. They reached out to people in the Trump campaign, such as this person, Mr. Papadopoulos, who got recently sentenced to jail for a short period of time because he cooperated with the government, but they did reach out. Who, in the, who, in the, who else in the rest of the campaign knew? Those are questions we have to get answered. And some of this, I think, on the collusion question, the Mueller investigation, we have similar goals but the Mueller investigation has more tools more people the ability to charge you with a crime um, so I think my hope would be that our our conclusions on collusion and the Mueller investigation activities will probably hopefully come out about the same time 
about the social media piece, do you see that Russia is still engaged in, in this kind of activity, and have they changed their tactics, you think? I think the Russians have gotten smarter. We've gotten better at spotting their activity. Um, most of the activity in 2016 was actually not done by the Russian spy services. They, in a sense, outsourced it to a private company that was controlled by one of the oligarchs named the Internet Research Agency that's based in St. Petersburg, Russia. We know that the Russians are continuing these activities. We've, as, as Dan Coates, the director of national intelligence, has said, the red lights are blinking, but it's not like they've turned on. They've not turned on the switch at the same level of activity. But as recently as two weeks ago, Facebook, Twitter, and Microsoft took down some Russian and other sites, like Iranian sites, who were trying to disrupt. Some of these activities may not be simply in 2018 as much directed at a specific candidate, and they may be more about just trying to divide Americans. One of the areas that we've seen a lot, a lot of Russian activity is around the issue of NFL players kneeling around the national anthem. Matter of fact, the volume of traffic, it's much less real Americans having disagreement. It's much more computerized bots and foreign trolls generating this. How do you get Americans to figure this out, to understand that, to, to, to resist being lured into this? Well, great question. And I don't think we've, we've got a, a thorough answer. Two suggestions that I would have. One is, if I get a post, if I get a, somebody liking, disliking, saying something about an issue, I think we ought to know whether that's a human being or whether that's a bot or a troll. Now, that doesn't mean you have to take it down. They could still post it. But if there was an icon that flashed up and said, this is actually from a machine, you know, that would at least make folks think about it. If somebody says they're Mark Warner posting a message from Alexandria, Virginia, but the actual origin of that post is not Alexandria, Virginia, but it's coming from St. Petersburg, Russia, if that would pop up on the post, again, I'm not trying to restrict somebody's First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. They can still say what they want, but I think there are indicators such as geolocating, such as the question of whether it's a human being or a computer. I think, you know, Facebook is said because the deal on Facebook is you are supposed to be who you say you are. They said they are doing much more work on authenticating individuals. That would at least help. We had one expert. This is the thing. This was one that I, I'm surprised has not gained more news coverage. But it said if you look at the amount of political content on the Internet that appears on the far left or the far right, it's about 25 to 1 bots and foreign-based accounts versus Americans. So in a way, that makes me, in a certain sense, it makes me feel a little bit better that there's not as many people on the extremes as it appears. But if you've got that much traffic and you don't have that fact, you think, oh my gosh, everybody's gone a little crazy. An interesting detour that we happened upon during our conversation with Senator Warner was the arrest of a Russian national in July accused of being a covert agent pursuing an effort to infiltrate political circles while secretly working with Russian intelligence. 
Maria Butina walked slowly into the courtroom in her orange jail jumpsuit with a stoic look on her face. She nodded when the judge said good morning and glanced momentarily at her attorney. During the status hearing, prosecutors said they have roughly one million files, some of which came from her computer and other seized items to support their case against her, and are ready to turn it over to her defense team, which they say has blocked their attempts. She's charged with working covertly on behalf of the Russian government to influence the U.S. political system. Her attorney says she's done nothing wrong and wants her diary and personal notes returned. She's still in jail, three months later, awaiting trial, and has been the beneficiary of significant interest from the Kremlin. Some say they wouldn't normally be interested in just an ordinary citizen. There must be something to Maria Butina and this alleged relationship. Senator Warner had something intriguing to say about that. We provided some of the information about Ms. Butina. I don't want to comment on the specifics of what information we turned over to the special prosecutor. But I think all these activities are linked. I mean, the thing that's, that I think people need to realize is that not only is this, was this Russian effort effective in terms of stirring up people's emotions and, and controlling some of the political debate, think about all of the information about the, the DNC emails, how much that dominated some of the debate. But it's cheap. I mean, if you add up, one of the things we did, a back-of-the-envelope examination, if you add up all the money the Russians spent interfering in our elections, if you add up all they spent in the French elections, where literally the French were better prepared for this than we were. For example, Facebook took down 30,000 accounts in France. If you add up where the British have now found on the Brexit vote, um, Russian activity, if you add all three of those campaigns together, it's less than the cost of one new F-35 airplane. So this is, my fear is in many ways, what we're seeing with Russia using misinformation and cyber attacks is really where conflict in the 21st century is going to be. And I worry, as somebody think America's got to stay strong, I sometimes worry we're buying the world's best 20th century military and that battles in the 21st century are, less, are going to be less with tanks and guns and ships and a lot more with cyber systems and shutting down your utility grid or breaking into your financial institution or trying to misinform people and manipulate their their right. information flows. The president has issued an executive order to engage in the process of sanctioning those that are viewed as trying to interfere. I saw where you didn't think that that was strong enough. In a normal world... You wouldn't need this executive order. In a normal world, you wouldn't have the bipartisan legislation that's being proposed by Senator Van Hollen from Maryland and Senator Rubio from Florida that basically takes the responsibility away from the president that makes it a law that if somebody interferes in our elections, you've got to put sanctions against that country. So I think this executive order... I mean, it's better than nothing, but the only reason this is in, is in place is because there are not many members of Congress in either party that trust Donald Trump that will actually take strong action against Russia. I mean, there is something more than a little bit strange when the president of the United States basically kowtows to the Russian president the way Trump did with Putin back in Helsinki 
in the middle of the summer. I wanted to ask you about that. Why do you suppose he did that? What do you make of the decision to engage that way? Well, SureSec is not about making America stronger. And it is one of the reasons why I think the Mueller investigation and our investigation has to finish. Because it just, for someone who says he has no obligation to the Russians, that there was no collusion, that he's done nothing wrong, it's pretty unusual to see a president of the United States be so subservient to a Russian leader. And that raises questions, and that's raised questions, you know, people on both sides of the aisle have asked that. And it's, and, and it's you know, if, if the president was really strong about protecting our country, you would think he would have been willing to stand up to Putin. The declassification of materials related to the Russia probe, um, are you in favor of that? I'd like as much of the information when we finish our report that can be declassified to be declassified. I absolutely think the more transparency, the better. But what some of the president's allies are asking for is declassification of what's called the FISA documents against a gentleman named Carter Page. Now, the FISA documents are if the American government finds out that you may be a threat to our country and we want to put a bug or a listing device, you have to go to what's called the FISA court. It's a secret court um, because you don't want to reveal how we might have found that information. And throughout its, I think, 25, 30-year history, those that information has never been disclosed. I think there are certain allies of the president that feel like if they can disclose these FISA documents about Mr. Page, that somehow it will show something. I, I worry about that. I think it's not a you know, I want to declassify everything that's possible, but the FISA documents are normally because we need to protect not- our sources and methods so, so, that American, so that American spies are not put in harm's way. But I also think many of the people who are making these calls for at least Carter Page's documents probably haven't reviewed those documents, and they may um, they ought to be careful what they ask for. They have other motives, most likely. You know, they're, they are a group of people that are trying in every way possible to smear the Mueller investigation because they want to protect Mr. Trump at any cost. Vladimir Putin, the Skripal uh, case is, you know, almost been settled. Um, this, the, the British government says it knows that it was Russia the, or the Kremlin that was behind the poisoning. And then again, the subsequent death of the un, unfortunately of the woman in, 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 in the UK that came in contact with the Novichuk. Um, Putin has come up and essentially denied that his people were involved or anybody involved in the, in the military, in the intelligence were involved in it. Uh, and um, the same tactics that were used after the Litvinenko case appear to be uh, in play again. I spoke with Marina Litvinenko a couple of days ago here in Washington, and she said, beware of this. And right now, even as we speak today on the 14th, 13th of September, these two people uh, at Vladimir Putin. Putin's urging have exposed themselves now and, and are answering questions of the quote-unquote Russian media. What do you think of all that? I think it shows that Vladimir Putin feels pretty darn powerful these days. I think Putin's willingness to go off and 
and go to a foreign country, in this case England, and try to assassinate a former Russian spy shows that Putin feels empowered. Um, I think, remember, Vladimir Putin was a KGB agent. He was a KGB agent longer than he's been president of Russia. So the ability to misuse information, the ability to deceive, the ability to you know, go after, use his spy services to go after individuals in foreign countries, he's a master of deception. Uh, I do not believe Putin. I believe the British government is right that they were these Russian agents that went into their country. I believe the American government was right that Putin, at Putin's direction, Russian agents intervened in our elections to try to help Trump and hurt Clinton. And I believe they continue to try to intervene, not so much to just help Trump, but to try to split Americans from each other. I think Vladimir Putin believes that whatever is bad for America or bad for the West is good for Russia. And I don't think he's believable in any way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything you want to add? No, I, I just I think this is I know this is dragging on and taking longer than most Americans would like. Okay. I'm ready for it to be over as well. But it's more important that we get all the facts out and we make sure the American public knows what happened in 2016. So it never happens again. And um, my hope is that our committee uh, will keep in its bipartisan fashion. And at the end of the day, while we've finished about four of the five sections, mm-hmm. Uh, the collusion will be the hardest one to get agreement on. Um, but I hope we do come to a common agreement because, um, as I mentioned, this kind of interference in our system, from our voting system to our news, uh, it was a heck of a lot cheaper sometimes and sometimes more effective <laughs> than building, yeah. you know, a thousand more tanks. Yeah. That was our conversation with Virginia Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. I hope you noticed that he said they're about to tackle the collusion part of their investigation. It's the final piece and, he said, the hardest. We also pointed out what the Kremlin has been doing is what 21st century warfare looks like and something the nation needs to better prepare for. And speaking of that, coming up in our next episode... As a neighbor of an increasingly assertive Russia, uh, the relationship is not uh, is not as positive as, as we'd like it to be. What we see is, uh, for some reason, they don't seem to like us that much. Jonathan Seviov, ambassador from Estonia to the U.S., recently arrived, talks with us specifically about Russia's and Estonia's relationship and also has some advice for the U.S., which is now undergoing an active measures and interference campaign from Russia, similar to what Estonia went through in 2007. Well, for us in 2007, it was a wake-up call. We realized that cyber goes beyond just governmental security. It is a whole-of-society issue. That's coming up on our next episode of Target USA. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
Target USA is brought to you by Northrop Grumman. In today's battle space, situations change rapidly. That's why Northrop Grumman's innovative C4 ISR technology offers unprecedented mission capability. That's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. If you like this show, you need to check out Penn's Sunday School with magician and entertainer Penn Gillette. Each week, Penn talks to celebrities, magicians, and other entertainers about whatever he wants. Past guests include Phil Rosenthal, Dr. Joel Furman, and writer and director Kevin Smith. So check out Penn's Sunday School weekly on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.